Good morning, everybody. How are we? Are we chipper? Are we? No? Yes? All right. I got my top up in time last night before the rains, parked it under a tree. I had only a drip in my car. I know. I know it's crazy. I've not yet found my glasses. I told you, God's forcing me to learn wisdom. I'm a slow learner. So, um, excited to see you guys this morning. This is what we're going to do. You need your notes and you're going to need a Bible. You need your notes and you're going to need a Bible. Your notes and a Bible. And what I'm going to do is we're going to read the first paragraph or two in the notes because what I want to do, I want to set us up for something this morning. I want to set us up for this idea of what it is to submit, how it is we learn to submit, and where it is submission begins. And the reason is, is because I don't know that we always know. So if you look at the notes with me, it says this. It says, fundamentally, submission begins when we see God and recognize his greatness. So we see God and we recognize his greatness. In recognition of his greatness, we see our littleness in comparison. We see his holiness and we see our lack of holiness. We see our unworthiness. And therefore, the proverb puts it this way, that the, the, the fear of God, this reverent awe of God, is the beginning of knowledge and wisdom. It's the beginning of knowledge and wisdom. And the first knowledge is that is God, I am not. So fundamentally, submission begins when we see God and recognize his greatness. Our next act of submission comes when we learn to accept who it is, what and who it is that God has made us to be, and the role for which he has created me to do. So I want us to take that into consideration. So first we see God for who he is, and we see his greatness, and we bow to that greatness, and there's a reverent fear and an awe. The next step is recognizing what he's made me to be and submitting to that truth. Mm. We got to linger there for a minute. It's recognizing what he's made me to be and submitting to that truth. So this is what I want you to do for a minute. I want you to think about looking in the mirror. Not on your best day. Maybe not necessarily on your worst day, but on one of those days. You know, just one of those days. And I want you to think about what you see in the mirror and I want you to think about what you hear when you hear your voice on a recording. You know that, do I really sound like that? Because in my head, you know, I sing like Elton John. (laughs) On the outside, I sound a little more like Kermit the Frog. And so we have this idea of what we may sound like until we hear recording. And what I want us to do is I want to think that I just, just sink into that for a minute. When I look in the mirror, when I look in the mirror, what do I see? What do I feel? What do I think? What do I wish? What do I wish was and was not? When I hear a recording of my voice, what does that do to me? When I think about the gifts and talents that I have, do I rejoice or do I have envy? When I see others and compare myself to them, do I wish I had more or less? Do I wish I was taller or shorter? Do I wish I had hair or no? The idea of submitting to the recognition of how God has made us is fundamental to who we are. 
and really fundamental to how effective we can be. Because most of us, I don't believe, really appreciate how God made us. It's hard for us to fall in love with what God has made us to be and given us to do and then the tools with which to do it. And if we don't learn to submit to that truth, it's gonna be very difficult for us to submit to anything. So go back to the notes for a moment if you would. If we will not submit to God, chances are we will not submit to one another. In fact, there's a good chance that we will treat others the same way we treat God. If we hold God and his ways in contempt, we may in turn hold ourselves in contempt, not submitting to God's ways, how we've been made, how we've been, where we've been placed, the things we were meant to do and the gifts we have been given to do them. In the time we have been given to accomplish that which God has created us to be and do. And then there's a good chance we're gonna treat others that way. We're gonna see them as we see ourselves. This is really, really important, I believe. Because our ability to submit to everything else God commands us to submit to starts with whether or not we'll submit to him in regard to how he has made us and whether we'll accept that. So this is what I wanna do. I wanna turn to Psalm 139. Psalm 139. If you don't have a Bible, grab one from the pew back in front of you. I really want you to be in it with me. Maybe you have a gadget and go to, you know, whatever Bible app you have, version. the notes are also on version. But what I'd like to do is I'd like to look at one, Psalm 139. And we're not in a hurry. We'll get through what we get through. And we're going to take a minute to dwell on the lines that we think are probably at this time most pertinent. So Psalm 139. I'm gonna pray before we read. Father, we thank you for your word and pray, Jesus, that you would just allow it to sink deeply, deeply into our hearts and souls, that it would transform our person, our mind, that your spirit would weave in and out of who we are and connect with us and engage with us and guide us to the place you would have us. And may we, Father, trust you and the way that we have been made. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. You ready? Yeah? Okay, awesome, here we go. It says, oh Lord, oh Lord, you have searched me and you know me. Whew. You've searched me and you know me. Now I love that he doesn't elaborate on this much. It seems as though this, what the psalmist is doing is concentrating right in this first place is that we have this God, this Lord who searches my heart, searches my person, and just frankly knows me. Who I am and how I've been made. What I think. We're going to see this as we go. But we have a God who knows us. And he searches us as to know us. Look what it says now. It says, oh Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. Now we can look at that certainly from the literal sense when I sit down and when I stand up, but it's also the figurative sense. Why am I sitting? Am I sitting because I'm thinking? Am I sitting because I'm tired? Am I sitting because I'm discouraged? Am I sitting because I'm relaxing? But he sees me when I sit. And then he sees me as I rise. And why am I rising? To extol, to encourage, to move? to run, to call out. He searches me and he knows me. 
You know when I sit and when I rise, you perceive my thoughts from afar. He's not merely looking at us to see where we sit and where we stand, but he's looking at the insides of us. He's listening to our thoughts. He's paying attention to our person. And in that, he sees us and he knows when I arrive. Oh Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise, you perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. And you are what? What's that next word? You're familiar with all my words. You don't just see them. You're familiar with them. You have taken the time to search me. You've taken the time to know me. You know when I rise up. You know when I sit. You know when I stand. You know when I lie. And you're familiar. You're familiar with me. You know me so well, I'm like family. Familiar. Oh Lord, you search me and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise, you perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. And before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, oh Lord. Hmm. Go back to verse two again. You know when I sit and when I rise, you perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways and before a word is on my, look at the progression. You search me and know me, you know my thoughts. You discern my going in and out and you're familiar with me. Because of that, as well as your omniscience, you're knowing all things. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely. Not just the word that I'm going to speak, but why I have spoken it. Where it, where it originated and what it is filtered through and its attitude and its movement and its intent and you know it before it ever comes out of my mouth. That's how familiar our God is with us. This is how much he knows us. This is how much he cares. Oh Lord, you have searched me and know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways and before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, oh Lord. You hem me in behind and before. You have laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is what? It's too wonderful for me that you would know me this well. That you would be this familiar with me. That you would be in front of me and behind me and over me. You are God, and you know me this well. And yet, listen, according to Psalm 103, I'm still standing. You don't treat me as my sin deserves. You remember that I'm made of dust, and you have compassion on me. God is familiar with us, and he's familiar with us inside and out. He knows every aspect of our being, and he remains with me. Listen, anyway. That's amazing. This is God. So I want to stop here for a moment. I want to take this into consideration, going back to the original question. Will we submit to this God? Will we recognize who we are to him? Will we, will we receive his affection? Will we receive his mercy and grace? Will we, will we receive that which he offers us? And will we rest in the familiarity 
because that's what he's calling us to do. Verse five, you hem me in behind him before you have laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It's too lofty for me to say, this is overwhelming to me that you would know me so well. I can't even begin to fathom your thoughts. And in particular, understand your thoughts for me. And yet he has them. You hem me in and behind and before. You have laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? And where can I flee from your presence? Have you ever wanted to just run from God? Have you ever wanted to run from his presence? Have you ever wanted to run from your conscience? Have you ever wanted to run from the spirit? Have you ever wanted to run from truth? Have you ever wanted to run from familiarity? And maybe it's because we recognize our humanity and and God's holiness and his righteousness and his greatness. But what God is trying to convince us of here is that we are precious to him and he takes delight in us. And he knows us because he wants to know us. So the psalmist is saying, where can I go? Where can I go from you? Where can I hide? Look what it says. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will do what? It will guide me. This is not being afraid of God. and that It's a recognition of God's care and God's guiding. His love for us. That the familiarity he has with us is a desire to know and for us to know him. And that we would receive from him what he has to offer. John 1 puts it this way. To those who would receive what Christ Jesus offers. He gives us the right to become children of God. And this is God calling to each one of our hearts. I have made you in my image. I have made you in my likeness. Come be mine. I know you in and out. I know your thoughts, I know the words, I know the attitudes, I know it all, and yet I still long for you. Yet I still pursue you. Yet I still am waiting for you. And I have made you just as you are. How do we know? Let's keep going. If I go to the heavens, this is verse eight. If I go to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold you fast. Your right hand will hold me fast. You, my God, use your strength. You, my God, are there for me. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me, whether it be shame or guilt, whether it be conviction, Whether it be fear, if I say surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night like night around me, even the darkness will be dark. You will pursue me 
And as you enter into the dark place, you bring light. Look what it says. Even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. As you enter into the place I am hiding, you shed light on me. You reveal yourself to me. And now you show me who I am to you. We have to ask ourselves this question. If we're called to submit to anything, will we not first need to submit to our Father? So we ask ourselves this question. Before we go any further, this is what I want us to ask ourselves, right? Or ask each other. It's a familiar question. Do I trust God? Do I trust his love? Do I trust his wisdom? Do I trust his ways? Do I trust his word? Do I trust his mercy and his grace? Do I trust him? Because if I don't, I'll have trouble receiving this truth. And if I refuse to receive the truth, then to some degree I'm saying that I don't. If I refuse to see myself as God sees me, then I call God or make God out to be a what? A liar. This is really a tough moment. Because each one of us now gets to look at how it is we've been made. Look, let's, let's move on. Watch. Verse 13. For you have what? You've what? You've created my, my inmost being. You have created my person. You have created my soul. This thing which will live on for eternity. See, when we pass, it is not that our soul dies. This tent goes away. We'll talk about that in a moment. But the soul continues on, and it, 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 it continues on for eternity. The question is not whether or not we exist for eternity. The question is with whom do we exist? And in what state? And with what heart? And with what attitude? And he says, you created my, you've created my very person. You have created my soul. You have created my personality. You have created, you have everything that I am. You began to knit together. And you made me exactly the way you wanted me. Mm. Stop there for a minute. Stop it. Anyone wish they were taller? Thinner? Better looking? Not quite as good looking. I am a distraction, I know that. <laughs> Ever wish you had a different sense of humor? A different set of thought processes? You ever wish your personality was this or that or the other thing or the gifts that you have, the strengths that you have, the talents that you have? would be more like someone else's. You ever wish that? I think we've all been there, which is why we are where we are right now. And we're looking at what it is that God has done. And he knows us and he loves us and he made us and he knit us together and he created our inmost being, which means he took each one of us and uniquely sculpted us, uniquely made us to reflect him like only we can with everything that he has placed in me and made me to be, that each one of us gets to reflect Jesus, but we get to reflect him uniquely and wonderfully. And if we are unwilling to submit to that truth, then we render ourselves 
ineffective. And we begin to view God with at least skepticism. And we doubt him and lose trust in him and struggle moving forward. Wishing we could be something that we're not and thinking that perhaps God has made a mistake and maybe, just maybe, For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. You were there. You ever watch somebody knit? I love watching knitting. One, I can't do it. Aaron was right, I have sausage fingers, like slugs on the end of my hands. And so for me, for me to try to knit would be like just the ball, just blue blah, blah. But when I watch somebody, my grandmother used to do this thing, this, and it's an Italian thing. It's making some kind of a doily, and it wasn't really called a doily. There's an Italian word for it. It's, it's, it's this really intricate and delicate lace with these really thin, thin, delicate threads. And she would, she would you, her fingers would just do this. You could almost hear them. And as you watched, this thing would form, and it would just, it would just almost like magic. I want us to take into consideration the hands of our God knitting us together, taking all, every bit of yarn that he would use to give us color and texture, all the different types of weaving and knots that he would use to form us as uniquely as he, just putting us together. A little of this and a little of that and a little of this and a little of that. And he did this took nine months to knit me together. God's fingers. Isn't that astounding? So my personality, my strengths, my talents, my tastes, my propensities, everything that I am from the inside out, God has made me, he created me, and he knit me together. I want us to think about that for a minute because we view our world through the manner which God has made my inner person. We respond to our world the way God has made my inner person. We interpret the world through what God has made my inner person. We see God and relate to him by how he has made our inner person. We eat chocolate or not by how he's made our inner person. Who here does not like chocolate? There's something wrong with you. Please leave the room. <laughs> right? Who in the world doesn't like chocolate? I've always wondered what chocolate tastes like to somebody who doesn't like it. Mud? I don't know. Because if it, if they, if, ah, it has to, because if it tasted like chocolate, then they'd like it. You know, what's really interesting. I didn't choose to like chocolate. It dropped onto my tongue and I went, oh, right. I did not choose that taste. Did you choose to not like chocolate? No. She says, I have fooled myself into not liking chocolate, which is why I look like this. The fact of the matter is, we don't even choose what appeals to us. I don't know why I like orange and yellow, but I love orange and yellow. And I don't, like, I'm, I don't know why I'm not real fond of purple and brown, but I'm not real fond of purple and brown. I try to like it, but I can't. It doesn't appeal to me. Who put that in me? 
It is so awesome to know that God took all these beautiful things and he knit each one of us together very uniquely to represent him in a way that no one else in the world can. But the purpose was that we would represent him and we would reflect him and we would honor him and we would know him and we would know him in the manner in which we've been designed. And that is how awesome the creator God is. That he can allow for that diversity and that uniqueness and yet each one of us know him that intimately and reflect him so beautifully. That's why we are a mosaic. Each one of us bringing our broken piece. Each one of us bringing the colors and textures. Each one of us bringing what is inside and out. And God placing it together to make something beautiful. A reflection of himself. In his vast and eternal diversity. And beauty. And listen. And wisdom. The question we have to ask ourselves is, will I receive from God that which he's made me to be? Will I accept it for what he's made it to be? Will I then learn to relish it as he relishes me? And will I learn to rejoice in how I've made, been made and become effective in what he's made me to be? Because that's what it takes to learn to love the self that God has made us to be. And this is not arrogance, and this is not haughty, and this is not not humble. In fact, the greatest humility we will ever exercise is to learn to love ourselves the way God has made us. Because I had nothing to do with it. It's all about him. And until I come to grips with that truth, everything else fades. Everything else is ineffective. And I will struggle submitting to anything let alone my God. For you created my inmost being, you knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, look, oh, ow, what? No, I praise you, why? Because I've been fearfully and what? Wonderfully made. Take that into account. I have been fearfully and wonderfully made that what God did when he knit me together in my mother's womb, when he created my inmost being, it was fearful and wonderful. What? (sighs) Now listen, I'm not saying this. God is saying this. Through David's pen, He is saying to us, this is what I have done, and this is who you are, and I love you, and it's wonderful. Mm. Stop. All right. Have you been wonderfully made? Look in the mirror. Listen to the recording. Look at others around you. Have I been wonderfully made? Will I accept it? Will I submit to it? Will I revel in it? Will I rejoice in it? Will I celebrate it? Listen, and will I be it? Will I be the very vessel through which God works the way he's designed it to work? Will I represent God the very way he's created me to represent him? 
Will I reflect him as he's created me to reflect him? And will I join him in the wonder? Will I join God in the wonder? Because that's what it is to submit. And this is where submission begins. God, you are great and you are good and you have done this great thing and what you have made is wonderful and I'm one of those works. Do I trust God? Do I trust his person? Do I trust his love? Do I trust his mercy? Do I trust his grace? Do I trust his wisdom? Do I trust his ways? Do I believe him? Will I submit to those truths? Hmm. Chew on it. Think about it. Hmm. I didn't choose to be ADHD. It chose me. Bah. I didn't choose to be built like Barney Rubble. It chose me. I didn't choose my squinty eyes. They chose me. My bald head, my hairy back, all the wonderful things about me. I didn't choose those. They were chosen for me. Will I accept it? Will I revel in it? Will I rejoice in it? Will I celebrate it? Will I own it? And will I submit to it? Let's keep going. For you created my inmost being, you knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works, they are too wonderful for me. I know that full well. So there's the beauty of the inmost being. There's the beauty of our personality, our strengths, our gifts, our talents, our tastes, our perspective, our perception. There's the beauty of how we see our world, the lens through which we see it, and what, what it is we bring into the context of life. But it gets better. Look, what's it say next? My what? My what? My frame. My frame. Here we go. My frame was not hidden you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my what? Unformed body. This beauty of who it is that we've been made to reflect our God and to bring him forth. This soul and personality, this mind and spirit by which God made me. Who I am lives on forever. You know what else he did? He made a perfectly fitting package. Come here, buddy. Yes, I'm gonna prove to you my Barney Rubbleness. Oh yeah, come here, baby. This is, <laughs> this is Fred Flintstone. I'm Barney Rubble. <laughs> is this or is this not crazy? How tall are you, 6'4", 6'3"? 6'5". Get away from me right now. He's my dream. He is what I wanted to be in first grade as I watched Penn State. And I thought I'm going to play linebacker there. 6'4", 250. You probably don't weigh 250. Oh, I'm 250. Oh, my. <laughs> I like him less every moment. 
The amazing thing is, is that God created my inmost being and he knit me together in my mother's womb and he took all of these wonderful attributes and he beautifully blended them, each one complementing the next. That I would exude Christ as I come to him in a way that no one else can, uniquely presenting the gospel, uniquely bringing the kingdom, uniquely serving others, just the way God has made me and only the way God has made me. But not only did they do that for my person, my soul, my personality, my gifts, my strengths, and all the things that make me, make me what I am. He also knew just the right package in which to place me, the tent in which I would live. My dream was to... <laughs> my dream was to be this in first grade. Some of you have heard the story, but my mom is 5'1 and my dad is 5'6. That wasn't going to happen. But I was in first grade, I didn't know genetics and DNA at the time. Instead, God knowing who I am, knitting me together in my mother's womb, and then not being ignorant of the frame, wove me together and put this tent in which I live together for the purpose of carrying the very person that I am to make me most effective. Isn't that phenomenal? I wanted hair and <laughs> I wanted height. I wanted girth. And on top of that, he's brilliant. I'm less than brilliant. But you know what's awesome? I wouldn't trade how God has made me for a moment. And neither should he. And when we learn to accept such a thing, when we learn to submit to this truth, we have agreed with God that he is right. We have agreed with God that he is good. We have agreed with God that he is wise. We have agreed with God that he is love. We have agreed with him. We have said the amen to him. We have said, thank you, Jesus, for making me as I am. Thank you for designing me for this purpose. Thank you for putting me in this place. Thank you for giving me the days that you have. Thank you for putting me in the tent that you have placed me. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for loving me even though you're familiar with me. And thank you for redeeming me. So let's go further. Ready? Here we go. For you created my inmost being and you knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are too wonderful for me. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my own foreign body. All the days, all the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. Father, not only have you done this great thing in making me who I am and knitting me together, not only are you familiar with me and my ways, not only do you know my thoughts and the words that come from my mouth, not only did you then place me in this tent that perfectly fits who it is you've made me to be, you've also ordained the days for me. Will we receive from God those days? Will we then do with those days what we can? The psalmist also wrote, 
He said, show me the number of my days. Show me that I would remember to trust in you, that I see my finiteness, and that I would do all that you have made me to do, that I would live with an urgency, with a vigor, with an eye on eternity. We read on. Go down to verse 23, if you would. Actually, verse 17, I'm sorry. Now, this is where it really gets real. Are you ready for this? How precious to me are your what? Your thoughts, O oh God. Well, he has revealed his thoughts to me that I, oddly enough, am wonderful. Hmm. That I've been wonderfully and fearfully made. That I'm a reflection of his grace, his mercy, and his wisdom. He has made me just the way he wants me to be. Your thoughts, my God, they're precious to me. Look what it goes on to say now. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I were to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I am still with you. Verse 23, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my what? My anxious thoughts, even though I'm confident, Lord God, in who you are and what you've made me to be, I still fear, I still doubt, I still ask why. I still struggle sometimes when I look in the mirror and I still struggle sometimes when I hear my voice. I still struggle sometimes when I realize I'm grating on someone else. So search me, O God, and know my anxious thoughts. Test me and know, know my anxious thoughts. Know my heart, know my anxious thoughts. Verse 24, see if there's any offensive way in me, stop. Why would he put that right there? Why would he do it? I need to ask us this question. Could there be anything more offensive to God than us not believing what he says about us and not receiving how he's made us and telling him that he was wrong? Why have you made me a man? A man of short stature and stocky frame. Why have you made me a woman? Why have you give me this heritage, this DNA, this ethnicity? Why have you placed me where I am? Why? Now, it is not wrong to ask why. But what can be sinful is when, when, when we accuse him of doing wrong, when we refuse to receive that which he is doing, that which he has done, and that which he longs to do. Look what it says. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. In this context, who am I? What have you made me to be? What is your will for me? Why am I not like them? Why have you made me like this? No. No, test me. Show me. Search me. See if there's any offensive way in me. And now look. And now lead me in the way of everlasting. Lead me in the way that I should go. Lead me to you. Lead me. Now this is really important. Because that last part shows us. That last part reveals to us how difficult this concept is. How difficult it is for us to own what it is that God has said and what he says about us and how he has made us to be. We recognize that we don't always have confidence. We sometimes doubt and fear. Sometimes we're anxious. Other times we... 
We don't like what God has done. But the idea now is to come to agreement and repeatedly come after, recognize, and receive what it is that God has made me to be. But there's a reason this happens. It's called sin. Sin mars this image. Sin mars our understanding. Sin sin mars, it mars our perspective. It clouds our vision. So we go to Ephesians 2, please. Go to Ephesians 2. So God makes a way. And although he's created me wonderfully and fearfully and he has made me to reflect him in all these things, he also knows there's need for redemption, that sin has marred this thing and it has brought death and destruction. And so he longs now to give us everything we need to express Jesus the way we've been made. Starting at verse one of Ephesians two, it says, as for you, you were what? You were dead in your sin, transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world, when you were marred. And of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature or the flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature now objects of wrath. But because of your, his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace that we have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus, redeeming all that was made, redeeming who it is we've been made to be, redeeming, forming, shaping, using, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works as though that no man can boast, for we are God's what? Workmanship. We just read in Psalm 139 that his works are wonderful. We are God's workmanship. We are an expression of his work, and it is wonderful. We are God's masterpiece. As much as he wove us together in the secret place, as much as he assembled our frame in the womb, he continues now to work Jesus in and out of us by weaving us. This word workmanship has in it the idea of a tapestry, a masterpiece. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do what? to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. And he has done this for each of us and all of us, and he has made us exactly the way he wants us, uniquely, and now redeeming us in Christ Jesus, filling us with his spirit, and enabling us now to receive that which he offers, submit to how we've been made, and running in freedom and joy. Submitting to our Father in heaven who has made us a certain way, and then saw fit to redeem us, to not only allow us the uniqueness of who he has made us to be, but then to conform us into the likeness of Christ as he has made us, that we might reflect Jesus in all we say and all we do, just as we've been made. And this is ordained by him, and this is wonderful. Will we receive it? Will we accept it? Will we submit to it? Will we relish it? Will we rejoice in it? Will we celebrate it? Will we own it? Will we be it? Do we realize what God said, love the Lord your God with everything you are and then love your neighbor as you love yourself? 
I'm not saying I'm wonderful. God is saying I'm wonderful. This matter of discovery of self isn't for the sake of self. We're not talking about self-help or self-improvement. We're talking about recognizing being made in the image of God, so beautifully unique, and that he has made us as self to reflect him as only we can, and then redeemed us and continues to work in us and through us as men, as women, as couples, as singles, as parents, as non-parents, as children, as adults, as white, as black, as Asian. Tall, short, skinny, fat, muscular, bony, highly intellectual, a little more practical. I say that and I have my best friend in my mind. Ben, go ahead and get in place if you would. My best friend is a doctor of like three different things. This friend is is the smartest human being that I know and yet sometimes falls over his own self. I could not hold a candle to him intellectually, academically, or professionally. but we laugh together when we talk about common sense and falling down over ourselves. How has God made me? How do I reflect him? Will I receive it? Will I accept it? Will I trust my God? Will I recognize his love, his wisdom? Will I recognize his ways and his plan? Will I receive from him not only what he has made me to be in my inmost self, but the tent that he has placed me in to perfectly fit who I am and to bring forward his kingdom? Will I, will I receive from him the knitting together in the likeness of Jesus, being conformed more and more into that likeness, and then do the works prepared in advance for me to do in the days numbered for me to do them? And will I say to God, you are good and you are great and you have done this thing and I receive it and I submit to it and Lord God, move through me by your spirit. Accomplish the truth of your ways, and let me be an example of your incredible and joyful grace. Will I do it? Will I submit to it? That's the question. Amen? That of this song be true. May we learn to trust your ways, and trust your love, and trust your wisdom. May we learn to revel in how you've made us. Father, may you heal us of self-loathing and doubt. As our anxious thoughts overwhelm us, Lord God, may you remind us that you are familiar with us and you have knit us together and you knew us in the secret place and that what you have done and your works are wonderful. May we learn to relish who we are and daily submit to the truth that you have made us what we are and have done this on purpose by your loving grace and your mercy. May your spirit rise up in us and continually remind us of who we are in you and what our value is to you that you offered your son to pay the price. And may we, Lord God, not only accept who we have been made to be and to rejoice in how we're made, but that we would also allow others to be who they are and accept them for who they are and the way that they have been made. And in the midst of all that, Lord, help us to, re- to join you in that redemption. That we would repent of our sin 
that we would walk in your ways, and that we would reflect you in all that we do. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.